Morning, church. Great to be here with you this morning and also to be with many of you who are still watching online. It's great to be here. As we kind of launch the year, that is the, you know, the school year, the church year, kind of in full earnest today um, with all of our kids back, as Trisha and Trisha mentioned, but also beginning this series here on September the 20th. So starting a series in the book of Genesis this morning, as was mentioned, and let me say a few things about it. I think it's a book that has been um, greatly misunderstood uh, and even dismissed by a lot of people outside of the church today uh, in our world. But it's also been underappreciated and understudied and underloved by many of us in the church today, which is why we're taking some time to do that now. The book of Genesis often, maybe if someone just asked you, you know, we might think, well, it's about origins, right? That's the word that often comes up. You know, it's about the beginning, whether it's creation or whether it's, you know, God's plan to call to people. It's sort of, you know, chapter one. But I would suggest to you that that is um, not the case. It's much, much more than the beginnings of things. It's about who God is. Pretty important subject. It's about God's grand plan right? Not just for the nation of Israel. I would say to you, it'll take some time for us to do this, but the book of Genesis, really, from Exodus to Revelation, is an unpacking of God's plan. It's all here in the book of Genesis, his grand plan. His specific purpose for humanity, you might even say, the very purpose of life, right? What is the purpose of life is in the book of of Genesis. Here we find our nature and our calling. We find our, if you want to say, our wound and our healing. We find our path to maturity. What does it mean to be a mature human being? But what does it mean to be a mature follower of God, a follower of Jesus Christ? It is all here. It is the story, that video said, of the whole world. Now, we're going to look at this in um, four separate series. And we're not going to do it all in a row. Okay, It's going to be a while. We'll do this over the course of some time like we've done other books. So it's going to be four separate series. But this first one that we're beginning today is um, the first 11 chapters, Rise and Fall. This might, you might say is setting the groundwork for God's purposes and plan in the world. Rise and Fall. In this first message, titled The Good world, the good world, is just the first chapter, Genesis chapter 1. So you have a copy of the Bible. We're going to begin in Genesis chapter 1. And I'm going to read not every verse, but so follow along either behind me or in your Bible. But I'm going to, I'm not reading every verse, but I'm highlighting almost every verse. Genesis chapter 1, the good world. Follow along as I read. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let the dry ground appear. And it was so. Then God said... Let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds, and it was so. And God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days 
and years. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures. Let the birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds. The livestock, the creatures that move along the ground and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it They will be yours for food. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. In Genesis lies, my my premise, um, our understanding of the world, everything. In Genesis lies our understanding of the world. What do we learn from chapter one? A couple things. First, God created it. Okay? God, what do I mean by that? God created it. It's not a chance. It's not happened by accident. Listen, the subject of the opening lines of Genesis chapter one is God in the beginning. God created. And his name is used, or the name God, right? is used 29 times in 31 verses. Okay, guys, you don't have to always do that. There's a point. God created it. It dominates. And, let me say, the focus of Genesis 1 is not on how he created it. It's on who and why he created it. Some of the whole Protestant Reformation in one sentence is that we, God created us to know him, enjoy him, right? This is the Protestant Reformation. To know him and enjoy him and to serve him. Where this chapter ends, okay? It's, it's really a poem, Genesis 1. There's spiritual truth, of course. It's representing a true reality, but it's written as a poem, and it's talking about, you know, the, the, the creation that it comes out as sort of this unfolding of the natural phenomenon, but then it bubbles up to the drum roll, the 27th verse. God created man and woman in his image for a purpose. And I want you to rule and I want you to subdue. I want you to be my viceroy in the world. Okay, that's the, that's the headline of Genesis chapter 1. Think about this for a minute. My, my premise. Genesis 1 is about who and why, not about who. For a couple quick thoughts, things to think about if you find that rubs you the wrong way or, you know, or comes up against what you thought Genesis 1 was about. Genesis 1 and 2 are both creation accounts. Many of you have heard this, at least if those of you have been in the church for a while. They're two versions of kind of saying the same thing. 
But in Genesis, and there's a lot of controversy around that. I think it's, uh, it's all unnecessary. But uh, because people try to, under, they're, they're reading in their own understanding of various and sundry things, whether it's about literary uh, issues or science issues. But Genesis 1 and 2 are telling the same story, but there's a different focus. But here's one of the reasons why I think it's about who and why and not who. Genesis 1, the order is natural phenomenon, you know, fauna, flora, animals, man and woman. Genesis 2, take 2, the order is reversed. It goes from A, B, C, D to D, C, B, A. Now, one of two things is true. Either the guy who wrote this or the gal that wrote this is very sloppy, not a very good writer, didn't even get to chapter 2 to realize that he's going to confuse everybody because you told everybody that if its sequence is important, if it's about this, how could you make that mistake? right away, or how it was done, this mechanistic understanding of how the was not the point. He ends in chapter one with this saying, listen, the crowning achievement of creation is the vice age, viceroy agent, man and woman, who were created in my image. Animals weren't created in my image. The sun wasn't created in my image. The, the, the rivers weren't created in my image. Man and woman are. They have a specific purpose, and I'm going to begin chapter two with them. Because this is what it's all about, okay? Give you another example that may give you pause to say, I always thought Genesis was about how, not about who or what, or why, excuse me. The same person, if you, if you believe this, kind of the conservative point of view, that wrote the book of Genesis, Moses wrote the book of Exodus. Traditional understanding for thousands of years has been Moses wrote the first five books of the Old Testament called the Pentateuch. So if you go with me for a minute, the guy who wrote... Genesis 1 also wrote the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus talks about the Exodus, but the children of Israel getting into the, out of Egypt, making their way to the promised land. There are seven chapters, chapter 25 to 31, seven chapters devoted to the building and the creation and the peace parts of the tabernacle, which was the temporary meeting house for the people of God. Before they built a temple under Solomon, they met in a glorified circus tent. But this tent was very, very important. It was their house of worship for generations. But the details are withering. Why? What's the material? Different kinds of material. Poles, furniture, priest um, garments, you know, um, all the different pieces of furniture. Where they sit, how, how you take it down, how you build it back up. Withering detail. Why? Because the men and women for generations, they had to do it. As Moses saw on the mountain, he says, do exactly what I told you. So the details had to be there. And seven whole chapters of your Bible are spent just on the details, the blueprint of how to put together this big tent. Guess how many are spent on the creation of the entire universe? One, okay? What's the point? Well, then perhaps the details are not the point. Because, why? Because I'm not building the universe. I am building the tabernacle if I lived in Moses' day. I have to. Priest, I'm a Levite. That's my job. And if I mess it up, I'm in trouble. This is very important before calls of worship. But God built the universe. So that's not the point. What's important to keep in mind, guys, I could say this for the whole Bible, but we're talking about Genesis. It was written for us, like all 66 books of the Bible. It's for me. All scripture is, 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 is written, you know, is the Holy Spirit of God for, for doctrine, reproof, correct, and righteousness that the man or woman of God might be you know, fully equipped for every good work. All in, inspired by God. It's all for us. 
but it's not written to us. It wasn't written to me. The people for whom the book of Genesis was written originally, they didn't know the stars were suns. They didn't know the earth was round. They didn't know the earth was moving through space. Nobody knew that for thousands of years. So why are we looking for that when we come back to Genesis 1? Right? It's not going to be there. It's not going to be there. I had this um, friend. had this conversation with him for um, years. And we had this conversation about... Um, his struggle to believe in God or, or to take the Bible seriously. And this has been going on for decades. But we had a very interesting conversation recent times. And uh, even kind of a little bit of a, I'd say a, a, it really moved somewhere. Now we started talking about the, the, um, the presence of evil, right? That's a popular subject with people who are grappling with the Bible. You know, how do you make sense? So that's where we started, but somehow it pivoted to the story of creation. He didn't, I didn't bring it up, he did. And he said to me, I think he was kind of softening, and, and after years and years of talking, he said, you know what, I'd, I'd be open to considering what you have to, I'd like to believe what you believe, but I can't because of your stance on the theory of evolution. That's what he said. Now, when he said that, I thought to my, first thing I thought, I, I wasn't shocked, because that's a common uh, thing that comes up, but I was a little taken aback taken because in all the years we've known each other, I don't remember ever one time having a single conversation about the theory of evolution. So I thought, wow. He said, if it wasn't for your commitment to, and I said, listen, friend, let me be honest with you because we've known each other forever. I said, first I want to tell you this. I do not have a very strong science background. <laughs> Confession. I went to, I'm a history and English major in college and I went to seminary. <laughs> you know, I do not have a strong background in science. But I, but I do have a decent background in this, and let me tell you about this. The Bible, which was written, let's talk about the Old Testament now, which is where we're reading. If you're conservative, 3,500 years ago. If you're less conservative, 2,500 years ago. Either way, a long time ago. When the Bible, the science of creation isn't in here at all. How could it be? Okay, so here's what I want to say to you. That's not a major issue, and there are people not just in the 21st century, but going all the way back to the early part of the 20th century and even the 19th century, people, um, followers of Jesus in church A, B, C, and D, members of great writers in the seminaries and in, in, in the academy and people um, who are making a difference in the world who absolutely believe in the theory of evolution to their toes and they're committed followers of Jesus Christ. So I'm, these are just facts I'm laying out there to you and it was as if, you have to be there with me, as if after all these years, I don't want to say scales fell, but all of a sudden the, the countenance changed. It was as if my sense was he'd been holding on to that as his um, barrier for all these years. That makes it un... And I said, friend, that's, that's, that doesn't have to stand in your way, okay? It's not written to us. It's written for us, but not to us. I would say this. The Old Testament... This verse of scripture, Genesis chapter 1, I should say, is a theological, listen carefully, don't let me lose you, pastoral statement written by a pastor or a writer, Moses, to a people who were questioning and maybe denying the rule of God. Kind of what Moses is writing in Genesis 1, what I do on any given Sunday to try to encourage the 
the flock not to fall off. Think about this. When Moses wrote the book of Genesis, he didn't write it from the, in, the, in the Garden of Eden. You know, he wasn't having a, a, a breakfast in the Garden of Eden. Moses, if, if the best scholarly uh, understanding, he wrote it while the children of Israel were making their way through the wilderness. Somewhere between Egypt, a country where they were for 400 years, where people, wait, ready, ready? Worship the sun, worship the moon, worshiped calves, worshiped men. Pharaoh was a god. And between the promised land where they were going, where the, the other nations in the promised land worshiped the sun, worshiped the moon, worshiped the calf, worshiped kings and um, pharaohs. It was in this world that was dominated by the idolatry of the natural phenomenon that Moses writes the book of Genesis to say God created it. Exodus chapter 18, 10 and 11. Listen to these words from his father-in-law. After the Exodus, he said, Jethro to Moses, praise be to the Lord who rescued for you from the hand of the Egyptians, not just Moses, but the whole nation of Israel, two million strong, and Pharaoh, and who rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know, say, I didn't know this before the Exodus. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the other gods, plural, for he did this to those who had treated Israel, Israel arrogantly. Jethro saying, now I get it. Now that God has conquered Egypt, a group of people who worship the sun, who worship the moon, who worship the calf, and who worship Pharaoh as a god, who, by the way, by Exodus 18, was at the bottom of the Red Sea. <laughs> he said, now I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods. Here's the point. If God created it, it should be of no threat to you and it should be of no appeal to you to worship. That's the point of Genesis 1. If God created, he's saying to these people, the Jewish folks who lived their 400 years in Egypt, polytheism, we're about to go into the promised land, polytheism. Guys, we live in the same world. It's just a lot more sophisticated. Right? People still worship things other than God. He's saying, listen, God created it. It should be of no threat to you and it should be no appeal to you. That's what he's saying. And my, my challenge to me, my challenge to you is this. If you fear the things of this world more than God or you worship uh, the things of this world instead of God, I wonder whether or not you actually know him. That's the point of Genesis 1. Or if you do, if you're actually truly pursuing him or you're really living, your, your real life is really being a slave to the things that God created. They're not gods. They're not forces um, that can challenge your life as a Christian or your appeal to worship them just like the nation of Israel. The good world God created at second point of Genesis 1. His word shapes it. This is so important. His word shapes it. Listen carefully. We just read these verses. Five times in Genesis 1, 
the word create is used, okay, five times. And it's the underlying Hebrew word is bara. It's only, in, in all the 39 books of the Old Testament, it is only a word associated with an act of God. When it says, you know, so-and-so made this and so-and-so made that, it's a different word. But the word create, see, this is done on purpose. It's careful. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. Holy men of God, women, you know, moved, God moved them. This is, a, this, is, this is a thoughtful, put together thing. It's not casual. In all the times it's used, it's only associated with God, but the characteristic action This is the point of Genesis 1. The characteristic action of how God creates, it's speech. Speech. It's why I read the words the way I read them. And God said, 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 ten times in one chapter to make the point that what God does, okay, God speaks change, Genesis 1, into the chaos of the world See, when Moses is writing this, they're they're surviving in the wilderness. They're in a polytheistic culture. They came from one, they're going to one. And he said, listen, I want you to know something, Moses is saying to his congregation. God looks into the chaos. The world was was, was full of chaos and he speaks change into the world. He sends forth his word and it brings about truth. It brings about change in the midst of the wilderness wandering. Listen, in the midst of the coronavirus, in the midst of a world torn by racial strife, in the midst of what's going on in your life and what's going on in my life, if you have ears to hear, God's word shapes the world. God's word springs reality in. That's what Moses is saying. Walter Brueggemann, one of the, probably the most well-known living Old Testament scholar, said these words about Genesis 1. The text does not present us with what has always been or what will always be. An unchanging structure of the world. Rather, the text proclaims a newness which places the world in a situation which did not previously exist. It's news that redefines the world. The old world of chaos now becomes a new world surging with the mystery of God's gracious empowering speech. You know what that makes me think of when I read that? Let's look at that last line. Throw that back up there. The old world of chaos now becomes a new world surging with the mystery of God's gracious empowering speech. You know what it makes me think of? The miracles of Jesus. Lord, we brought this, uh, I brought my son to your, to your, to Matthew 17. I brought your, my son to your disciples and they couldn't do anything with him. And they just, they just, they talked over him but nothing happened. He's still struggling with his seizures. Jesus said, bring him to me. Jesus rebuked the demon, he was healed, right? God's characteristic action. What was happening in Genesis 1 is the same thing that happened in Genesis, or excuse me, in the life of Jesus. Now, you say, well, Rob, that's, that sounds like a pastor just preaching. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. In the Apostle Paul, who was a preacher, but I'm going to say he was more than a preacher. He wasn't just a preaching guy. He, he was the, the, uh, an apostle, 13th apostle. He wrote a third of the New Testament. Let's assume he's got some credibility. Here's Apostle Paul's commentary on Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, 
made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul says, listen, Paul's talking about the life-shaping, life-changing. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things pass away, all things become new. He's saying, listen, that happens through the word of Jesus Christ. You know what's interesting about his quotation of Genesis 1-3? This goes to show you that in some ways there's absolutely truth. I, I believe everything, I believe Genesis 1 is talking about the creation of the world, but the how is, we get, we, the how's gotten in the way. It's a poetry. Guess what? He says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And he said, God said, Genesis 1-3, after the chaos and the void, he says, let there be light, and there was light. That's what Paul's quoting. You know when the sun, the moon, and the stars are up here in Genesis chapter 1? Not until verse 16. It doesn't happen in verse 3. It happens 13 verses later. And what Paul is saying, listen, well, maybe, maybe Moses is just sort of, you know, it's, it's a way of talking about one thing and picking it up later. Okay, maybe. It's how poetry's done. You can write that way. But Paul's saying, I think there's something else going on in Genesis chapter 1. <laughs> when he said, let there be light. He's talking about the light, John 1, 3. He's the light that lights up every man that comes into the world. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. Wait for it. The word was God. <laughs> That's what Paul's saying. That's what John's saying. If you and I have ears to hear. Okay? That's what's being said. The reason the Father's word can create is the Father's word is a person. That's what Paul's saying. That's what John is saying. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God said, let the dry ground appear, and it was so. And God said, let the land produce vegetation, and it was so. And God said, let the land produce living creatures, and it was so, and it was so, and it was so. Okay? This is how God's word works. You know, I, I, I'm in a season in my life where I, I read through the um, Old Testament once and the New Testament twice in a year. Okay? That's, I mean, I've been in this work for a while, the, or the walk with Jesus. Okay? So I'm not saying, it nets out to about four chapters a day. Now you might say, are you saying that I need to read four chapters a day? It's not what I'm saying. You say, well, aren't you, isn't that what you're paid for, Rob? You know, you're supposed to read the Bible. Okay, okay, I'm with you there. Not, but here's what I am saying. I hope you're reading at least one. And not just reading it, checking a box. You're not doing it for God. You're not doing it for me. I hope you're doing it. Why? So that God can say in your life, in your situation, and it was so. And it was so. And it was so. Because God's word is his characteristic action, his speech. It's speaking into reality. Lord, we couldn't, your, your disciples couldn't help this, my, my son out who's struggling. Bring him to me. And Jesus said a few words, and he was healed. Right? And it was so. And it was so. Maybe the, maybe, things, maybe the reason things are not so in your life is because you're not really a believer in the God who creates and whose primary action to creation is the speech or his word. And if I and you took it seriously, maybe our lives would be different. The good world. God created it. 
His word still shapes it. Lastly, and this is really a tip to where we're going next week, he's inviting you in, okay? This is really the point of Genesis chapter one, right? Just because you're an Israelite in the wilderness does not mean you're really walking with God, right? Do you know the vast majority of all those people in the wilderness never made it to the promised land? The whole reason, the, the, the journey from Sinai to the promised land, the Bible says, took, if it, by, as the crow flies, 11 days by foot. 11 days. It's not my math, it's the Bible's math. But it took 40 years. Why? Really because of God's mercy. He said, I'm not gonna strike you down for your disobedience and your disbelief and your thumbing your nose at what I'm asking you to do. He says, I'm just gonna let you die a good old ripe death, but you're never gonna live in the promises of God. A lot of Christians are like that too. We come to church, we're, we're, we're making our way through the world, but we don't actually believe what the Bible has to say. Right? This is what Moses is trying to say to his struggling congregation. You, need, you shouldn't be threatened by anything in the world. God only didn't create the sun, the moon, the stars. Listen, he created politics. He created the economy. He, he created, listen, he created the pandemic. You say, well, well, give me a sermon on that. I don't have one yet. But point is, he created it all. And it should not be a threat to you. That's what Moses is trying to say. Nor should it be a reason for you to worship, right? And second, the way God does his work in your life, the way he reshapes reality, the way he shapes reality is through speech. That's why Moses spent so much time on God said, God said, God said, God said. I'm trying to make a point. God said, and it was so. And it was so. And it was so. Okay? That's what he's trying to say. And he's inviting us in. Class, just a couple comments on this last passage. He's inviting you in. Verse 27. We'll say more about this next week. Three times I told you he used the word create in Genesis chapter 1. I'm sorry, five times. Again, pay attention and, you, and you'll be amazed. He uses the word create, only used of God, always about a characteristic action, ex nihilo, out of nothing. It's it's God's special work only for him. He creates something out of nothing. Three times of the five, it's used just in one verse. Why? Right? Verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Why so many times? Why three times in one verse? To make a point. Okay, See, this is the important part of creation. This is the ultimate. This is the important thing. And what did he create man, ready? In his image. Now, we'll say more about this next week. But let me say this. Moses also wrote the book of Exodus. Remember the Ten Commandments? Sometimes we, we think some, maybe not you, but some of us think we don't understand the difference between the first and second commandment because they sound like one's a restatement of the other. The first commandment is, You shall have no other gods before me. Don't worship false gods. Whether those false gods look like a little statue or they look like a movie star or they look like a house or they look like a career, whatever. Do not worship false gods. Then the second commandment says, don't make any images of God. And people go, why are you saying the same thing twice? He's not. The first commandment's about worshiping false gods. The second commandment's about not worshiping the true God in a false way. 
You know, when, when, when Aaron was missing Moses on the mountain, when the, ang- when the children of Israel were all anxious about, they thought Moses left them and in, in the great Exodus story and the bottom of Mount Sinai, Aaron gives in to their fear and their anxiety and they create the golden calf. But you know what he says? And, the, and now maybe the Genesis 1 makes more sense to us. You know what he says? The calf, they create the golden calf and doesn't say, Hero Israel is your new God. He says, Hero Israel is is your God who delivered you from Egypt. He's not introducing a new God to them. He's saying, this is an image, the golden calf, of the God of who just delivered you. And the second commandment, God's saying, listen, I only don't want you to worship false gods because it's going to ruin your life and it's not true. It's a waste of your life. But I don't want you to reduce your worship is don't, don't, don't look at you know, uh, um, the, the beautiful ocean and worship it in my place. Don't look at the great sun or stars and worship them in my place. Don't look at you know, Kilimanjaro and worship it. Even as beautiful as all these things are, don't look at your beautiful wife or your handsome husband or your beautiful family. Don't worship any of those things in my place because if you do, it's going to underdeliver in your life. And he's saying, second thing is, somebody else actually already has that job anyway. The image of God in the world is not this church. It's not the picture of Jesus. It's not the Sistine Chapel. It's you and it's me. That's what he's saying. You are the image of God. That's why he says, I created them one, two, three times so that they can be my image. And just, that's not where the end of the passage. Now he says, what does that mean? Go into the world. Re, um, subdue the earth. Rule over it. You know, one, one pastor I know says, God didn't create trees. He creates furniture. It's a funny way of saying, this is what he's saying, listen, God's saying, listen, as my vice regents now go in and take the world that is raw materials, right? The racism problem, it's a raw material. The coronavirus, it's a raw material. You know, scientists, I'm not one of them. Get the problem fixed, right? But it's a raw material. Broken family relationships, raw material. Go into the world and be my image and make the world a better place. Amen? I, uh, some of you know this. You know, I, I try to be as apolitical as I can, and I will continue as your pastor. Um, it's hard. It gets harder and harder and harder. <laughs> you know? I, I, I say something all the time now, and I didn't realize I was saying a polit- something political. But I, I had a friend that challenged me about all this race stuff to go to um, the protests. I, know, you know, I, 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 I read about it. I pray about it. But I hadn't gone down there. And, and someone said to me, you need to see this for yourself. I don't think you got the whole story. So I did. And some of you saw this. I wrote about it in Facebook, which is not my characteristic style, but I was so <laughs> amped up, right? But, uh, and I heard about it. But anyway, the point is, uh, I did. And, and I would say this is my summary. I was both inspired by some things. I was really surprised. It wasn't, you know... I'm walking along with the crowd and there's maybe one or 2,000 people, many of them young people, you know, uh, white, black, uh, et cetera. I mean, I was kind of inspired. It was pretty peaceful. And and then when we sat down, other things happened that was very uninspiring to me, okay? And I mentioned it in my post, but here's my point. When I got home and thought about it, um, you know, I, I had all these different emotions. But I had this voice in my head, you know, maybe you do this to your kids, those of you who have them, and said, you know, find the good, right? Isn't that a great lesson for, for all of us? If you're big kids too of us, you know, find the good. You know, we're, we're so quick to curse the darkness, so quick to point fingers, so quick to say 
you know, all these people are this, that, and the other thing. And I said, what is the good? And here's the good. Here's what I walked away with, you know, as I thought about that experience, both inspired and uninspired by some things that I saw and heard. I said, you know, I have to believe out of these 2,000 people or whatever it was, many young people, politics aside, <laughs> so easy to say, hard to do, right? I know there's a lot of politics there and a lot of it's, a lot of people don't even have a formed politics, a lot of us. But he's saying, I thought to myself, politics aside, I have to believe that the reason many of those people or some of those people are out there is because they believe in their heart of hearts, even if they don't understand all the issues, that the world should be a better place. Okay? That's all I'm saying. I'm making a political statement here. But I'm saying that's what this is about. Do you think God, is God naive or was Moses naive when he said God looked at the world and said it's very good when they're in the middle of a wilderness wandering overwhelmed by polytheism and all the worst kinds of, if you read the book of Deuteronomy you want to see what was going on you think our world's a difficult place? Oh my goodness, they were sacrificing children, all kinds of sexual dysfunction and the most horrible things you ever saw were going on right in the time when he wrote this book. Unbelievable, okay? How could God call it a good world? And he's saying, listen, I made it and we got a lot of work to do, but I'm inviting you in to join me, right? That's what he's saying. That's what Genesis 1 and 2 are about. Amen? I'm going to close just because it, with a quote because I, you know, it's been such a tumultuous week uh, uh, for obvious reasons. But one of the things that happened, of course, one of our Supreme Court justices died. And I don't know a lot about Ruth Bader Ginsburg, but, you know, she's all over the Internet. And I know she's controversial, too. Okay, here we go. I'm gonna, I'm her, but, but I just saw one quote that I thought was so pertinent. I'm going to end with it. Okay? Fight for the things you care about, but do it in a way that will lead others to join you. Okay? So politics aside, okay, what a great line. Fight for the things that you care about. Okay? And do your homework. Right? But... Do it in a way that will lead others to join you. That's the challenge, right? That's what God's saying to you and me. Let's pray. God and Father, our creator and sovereign king, we come humbly before you today asking you to renew our vision of your calling in our lives. Your good world is struggling to survive. It's in need of healing. It's in need of hope. It's in need of you. Send forth your word and reshape our lives to be more like you. In Jesus' name, amen.